It takes a special kind of movie to be nominated at the Razzies for Worst Film of the Year, and let me tell you, 2022 did not disappoint. Or rather, these movies did disappoint, and that's why we're here. But which one rises above the rest? We endured the impossible, watched all five, and have our grades ready. How did the nominees do? Find out in this Razzie's craptacular edition of Grading on a Curve. Welcome one and all to Grading on a Curve, the Razzies 2023 special edition. Looking back at the worst movies of 2022. I'm your host, Jason, and I have a cavalcade of guest star talent ready to... Uh, I'm just going to apologize right now to every single one of you on the show here for making you watch these movies. I truly am sorry, not sorry. But here we are ready to talk about the worst films of the year and who might walk away with the Razzie if they bother to show up and pull a Sandra Bullock. But let me introduce everyone on the show. And I'm going to start, of course, as always, with my lovely wife, Carrie. Carrie, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, but you have to wonder if I'm paying you to say that because <laughs> that's, that's the quintessential introduction. <laughs> well, it says here. Um, oh, it's in the script. It's, it's, it's in the oh. script. Also, there's there's a $20 bill note beside <laughs> it. So I'm cashing out, y'all. Say, say it or die. Say it or die. <laughs> what you don't see, this is an audio-only podcast. What you don't see is the Glock she has pointing oh. at my head <laughs> as I introduce her. Like, say it now. Oh, say it nice, say it pretty. <laughs> also, from the Sleevy G Show and Playlist Wars, Gomez has returned to grading on a, co- on a curve. Gomez, welcome back to the show. How are you doing, man? Oh, freezing my bejesus off here in Jersey, man. It feels like Canada. <laughs> so am, am I to assume with the cold weather that there are sleeves present tonight? Um, no, still going with the sleeveless shirt here. Okay. Attaboy. Snows- yeah, that's my gimmick. <laughs> Snows out, guns out, it kind of works here. You heard his voice already. Greg is back from Movie Date Night. Greg, welcome back to the show. You keep coming back for these episodes where we have to I'm watch like more and more. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which, for the record, clean your room. You left it as a mess last time. But Greg, how are you doing tonight? I am required by the ransomware I received to say like and subscribe to It's Not That Bad podcast. <laughs> that is the $20 I'm forwarding you from what Carrie gave to me for calling her lovely. Cool. So, okay. It's it's basically circular. I don't get to see the actual money. It's like a money laundering operation here. And joining Grading on a Curve for a first time, you'll remember him from the Rollerball and Love Guru episodes of It's Not That Bad. From City News 680, Simon's back on the show. Simon, welcome to the show for the first time how are you doing uh, where's my 20 bucks uh seriously for a long time i was your work wife like come on um <laughs> I, I am wearing sleeveless because i am in canada and that's a visual that jay didn't want at all <laughs> no am no i'm supposed to take my shirt off i feel like i'm supposed to take my shirt off right now 
No, you're supposed to be sleeveless, not shirtless. I was about to say, considering that most of us are right now currently in our basements uh, and there's no sun out in the winter, we could white balance cameras if we took the shirts off. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to roll them up then. I'm just going to roll them up. <laughs> now, if you, our listeners, have this is the first time you've listened to a Grading on a Curve episode, let me go through how the show works out. We are going to go through each of the five movies that are nominated for Worst Picture of the Year, and we're going to rank them in amongst themselves because let's be honest no one would ever say that one of these movies is their favorite film of the year but in amongst the five themselves one might actually stand out but before we figure out which movies we're going to be talking about it is time to introduce the contestants in the pentagon of pain are you ready for the wreckage that is the Razzie nominees for worst film of the year our first contestant pulls the reverse Godfather 3 and is nominated for Worst Picture while having a Best Actress nominee. Oh daddy, get ready for Blonde. Our second combatant proves the age-old adage that the book is always better than the movie. And that's true, because they took an award-winning book and turned it into a Razzie contender. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you, The King's Daughter. Next up, from the mind of Machine Gun Kelly, which admittedly isn't saying much, comes a film that proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that actresses in Hollywood have horrible taste in men. Rise and shine, everyone. It's good morning. Our fourth contestant comes from the sacrifice of the Disney cash cow as they try to do the impossible and make us dislike Tom Hanks. This Disney Plus rehash is definitely a minus. It's Disney's Pinocchio. And finally, the only film in 2022 to bomb not once, but twice at the theaters. It's the cautionary tale of the internet taking a joke too far and Sony having zero sense of haha. You wouldn't like him when he's hungry or when it's Mormon time. It's Morbius. Who reigns supreme? Let the ranking of the rank begin. <laughs> So I, I I did forewarn everyone that there these are some bad, bad, bad movies. And I just find it kind of funny that the films that we talked about in the end of year 2022 special of Grading on a Curve, none of them were nominated for Worst Film of the Year. So that just goes to show just how bad some of these are. But let's get the party started on Netflix with Blonde. This film stars Anna de Armas in a performance that actually earned her an Oscar nom for Best Actress. It's based on the 2000 novel Blonde by Joyce Carol Oates, which is a fictional story of Marilyn's mm-hmm. life. This is not, this is not, repeat, not real life. It is actually the first NC-17 film on a streaming platform like Netflix and may go down as the showgirls of streaming. Directed by Andrew Dominic, the film had an estimated budget of $22 million. The film is also nominated for Worst Director, Worst Supporting Actor for both for both Xavier Samuel and Evan Williams, who played basically the, the love triangle for Marilyn, Worst Screenplay, Worst Screen Combo, 
twice twice for worst screen combo for Andrew Dominic and his issues with women and for both real life characters <laughs> in the fallacious sorry sorry I didn't even hear the second one holy shit that first one blew me away and for both real life characters in the fallacious white house bedroom scene it's also <laughs> and for oh worst God. remake oh, it's so bad <laughs> And for worst remake, ripoff, or sequel, this film over on Rotten Tomatoes has an audience score of 32% and a tomatometer of 42%. So the critics actually like this more than the audience. So I'm going to hop on over to Greg here, who seems to love the other <laughs> awards that this is nominated for. What was your take on Blonde? Listen, I liked it. I think it was... Don't get me wrong. It was a weird movie. It was a very tough movie to watch. And like, let's also stress very hard. This is fiction. This is not an, a biography picture, uh, picture for um, Norma Jean, AKA Marilyn Monroe. This is like a book someone wrote that was fictionalized account of her life. And then they took that, put it to a movie. But I was like, this is a harrowing tale of depression and like oppression and abuse and like i've always said that the reason why in theater you have the comedy and tragedy masks is because sometimes you need a good tragedy to balance out the comedy in your life so that way those are that much more funny this was depressing as hell the only time you ever get any kind of happy moment in this film is like a false happiness just because the character has to like tell herself she's happy otherwise she's gonna snap right then and there I I can see why people would think the directing was bad and it was bad in some points. But one thing I really did actually enjoy was some of the distortions they did with directing and editing so that you kind of get the mind sense of like how she's perceiving the world. There's one point particularly that I really, really enjoyed. I want to point to where later on in her life, she's married to her second husband played by uh, Adrian Brody. She comes home and his face is a complete blank blur, almost like he watched the ring, right? <laughs> and and she says, Who are you? And he goes, It's me, your husband. And then his face snaps into sharp focus. I thought that was really cool. Kind of like showing her like perception of how the world is around her. The use of color versus black and white was interesting, but I don't think he was following like a solid rule for that. But like, listen, tough movie to watch very nc-17 uh for some scenes and like you said that especially that um that scene with jfk was very like wow i don't even have any words for it other than just like wow and damn but i listen i i kind of enjoyed this film all right for so a weird way so where have you got this ranked among the five don't do that to me. Don't make me choose. Oh, I have to make you choose. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. That, that's I, why we're here. Funny, I forgot we're ranking, so now I have to do this on the fly. I am going to put this at a two. I'm going to say this is my second highest pick. You know what? I'm not surprised uh, that you did like this. And I, I have to give some credit where credit is due for this film. Uh, Anna de Armas really did. A, a, a very good job like 
when they announced her as playing Marilyn Monroe, I was like, really? I mean, not that I don't like Anna de Armas, but really? But she looks the part. Uh, and I think some of the cinematography in this was really good. But I need to put this out there right now. This is a fictional story. This is not Marilyn Monroe's real life, although some of the beats obviously are based on real life. It's a fictionalized take. But there are going to be people who don't do the research, who think all of a sudden, oh, so she really did call everybody daddy. And it, it, you're right. It is really freaking depressing. And I think as as good as it could have been, it comes off as more exploitative. And there are people in probably in Marilyn Monroe's, you know, still in her lineage kind of thing who, who now have to look at this and go, wow, you're just crapping all over her legacy. So personally, despite what I may think of this as a filmmaker, it gets my number five rating at the bottom of the pile. Uh, I'm going to go to Simon on this one. What did you think of Blonde? I mean, you have to wonder if the, you know, the moment I saw it was an NC-17 rating, then you think about, what, the handful of movies that have gotten this, and this is obviously, like, Netflix got a lot of publicity for becoming the first one on a streamer, or at first Netflix NC-17 flick, and yeah, it is, there's some scenes there, man. Like, it, it, it earns its rating, and I liked what, um, I, I like what, Rotten Tomatoes said it was, you know, it can be hard to watch. It teeters between commenting on exploitation and contributing to it. And where is that middle ground? Also, the uh, Abbas was, you know, as good as she was. Like, the fact that this is getting Razzie noms and she's up for Best Actress tells you about how much about how she put into it, how much she put into the role. And she almost has to win because there's so much around this movie. What's next for her? You know what I mean? Like, you know, it, it's one of those things she jumped into full bore. And let's not forget, she was not the original choice. I mean, this is a movie 10 years in the making. Mm-hmm. And they had Naomi Watts and Jessica Chastain originally playing Marilyn and ended up being her. You know, her performance, can't say anything about that, but like, where's the line? And when you hear NC-17, the question is why? And did Netflix kind of go, yeah, we'll leave it. People will get more streams. And I'm not a prude in any way by saying that. You know, Jay, I'm yeah. not. You, but you just can't handle the blood it. on screen. Well, yeah. <laughs> turned away. But where do you rank Blonde in amongst these five films? Five is the worst of these. I'm going to put it in the middle at a three. All right, Carrie, over to you. How is Blonde for you? Very difficult to watch, although really good to hear that it is a fictional story (laughs) of a real life character because oh my god like I just I I didn't know if I wanted to cry or hit something like the TV or the remote and or Jason hit hit stop (laughs) make it stop (laughs) sorry I couldn't resist I'm sorry nobody's out here condoning violence (laughs) um it, it was. It was hard to watch. It was emotionally, like, just flooring. Like, I, there's no other way of putting it. And thank God that this isn't 
totally biographical because I thought, oh my God, like you see, or I grew up seeing images of Marilyn Monroe, like with the beautiful smile and the iconic dress with the flowing skirt. Um, Like, but then you think, oh my God, like, like someone can smile through such pain. Right. So, I mean, I'm sure that, um, was it that everything was, because they did take aspects of her life. Yeah. So it's like the real life was the basis for the fictionalized stories that happen out of the headlines. Wow. Um, I agree with Simon. I think I'm putting it right down the middle at three. Um, cause I, I, I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. I found it very long. It was almost like it was, uh, I don't know, about a half an hour, 45 minutes longer than it should have. It kind of overstayed its welcome, but it also had a lot of ground to cover. Yeah. Um, so I, and I think that they did really well almost summarizing what would be chapters of her life or different aspects um, that they wanted to touch on in the storyline. Um, I mean, as far as acting, I, I thought she did an amazing job, like just captivating to watch. Uh, so, yeah, I give it a three. Before we go to Gomez, I need, I need to put this out there. And, you know, Greg and Simon have both mentioned this in that it earns its NC-17 rating. And maybe it's just me, but I don't see any major difference in things that would qualify it as NC-17 between this and a film like Boogie Nights, which, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a hard R, but it's not NC-17. Is the NC-17 you know, almost too much. Like, did you guys find it too too much for Netflix? Greg, I'm going to go to you on this one. I was kind of thinking about this too. Not, I didn't have the exact comparison for Boogie Nights, but you draw a good point there. I I know many of us have heard the, the rule for an R rating where if you say the F word twice, once is an automatic PG-13, twice as an automatic R. You could be Bambi, the most G-rated film ever. And if Bambi goes, holy F, did you F and see that? And all of a sudden it's an R rating, you know. But I wonder if something similar happened here with the um, the abortion scene. There's a, I'll say an interior shot in the abortion scene that I feel like is the automatic... You're going to do something like that, NC-17. I don't care what the rest of the film is. So I I feel like that's what it was. But at the same time, yeah, I kind of do feel that maybe they were like, you know what, let's push the envelope. Let's see if we can get extra views because it's an NC-17. That's a rarity. Yeah, I I mean, we saw this with, um, with Don't Worry Darling, how they basically got press off the the fact that there was some sexual content and it's uh, a very of the moment actress but i remember watching a documentary called this film is not yet rated and in it they they pointed out certain movies that that got flagged as nc-17 and a lot of it focused around the concept of female orgasm and that seemed to be like the trigger from it and we do you do you see Marilyn Monroe enjoying that moment with her two lovers. I I, I think the NC-17 is a bit much, and but I also think that Andrew Dominic 
jumped on this as a way to market it. Carrie. With that said, when Harry met Sally, does that Good qualify? Point. Great point. Oh, yeah. Yes and no. Yes, it's quote unquote a female orgasm. B, it's fully clothed, faked in for comedy. But I also think this that was fully clothed as well. It's over a pastrami sandwich. It's, yeah, but it's implied that she's had you know she's in the middle of a threesome at the time. So with a pastrami sandwich. It's a good sandwich. Marilyn Monroe was going to have what she was having. So Gomez, over to you for blonde. Oh God. <laughs> really? Um, yeah. How she said, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll have what she's having, please. Um, oh God, I can't even describe how this movie was. Yes, some of the scenes were a little too graphic. Yes, it, thank God it's not a real story. Thank God for that. I'd rather go through Root Canal without painkillers, please. Um, I fell asleep halfway through this movie just because the act, half of the acting was horrible. Um, yeah, she did a great job portraying Marilyn Monroe. As I'm looking at the 2023 nominees, you have Andrea Rosenberg for Tulisa, uh, someone for Tar, uh, Michelle Yeck for Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, Michelle Williams, The Fablemans, and then <clears throat> Anna Demons for Blonde. Now, you guys are agreeing that She's gonna win it. I don't think she is. I don't. I don't think she is either. I, I personally, I think it's a toss up between between Michelle Yeoh for everything, everywhere, all at once. But I have a feeling it's going to end up being Michelle Williams because if there's one thing, if there's one thing the Oscars has proven, it's that they love a movie about Hollywood. So yes, this was not about Hollywood. It was about Marilyn. Well, some of the scenes were kind of not about her either. Thank God. Um, but for me, it was just. Like Carrie said, it's a long movie. I kind of fell asleep 45 minutes into this movie. Um, with a hot cup of coffee, you figured that one out. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so for me, it's a hard four. Nice to see that I am able to provide Gomez with naps <laughs> during during the research for this. But let's move on to The King's Daughter. This film stars Pierce Brosnan, Kaya Scodelario, William Hurt, and Fan Bingbing. The film is based on The Moon and the Sun by Vonda and McIntyre, and the book actually won the Nebula Award for Best Sci-Fi Novel. Now, here's the interesting thing. This movie was filmed in 2014. And the studio wasn't happy with the initial cut. And then, of course, Fan Bingbing ran into uh, tax problems with the Chinese government. And because the film, you know, 50% of this budget was being, you know, financed by Chinese investors, the film eventually got shelved for eight years. The film does have a budget of 40.5 million, had a worldwide gross in theaters of 2.23 million. Kaya Scodelario is also nominated for Worst Actress, and Fan Bingbing is nominated for Worst Supporting Actress for this and the 355. Over on Rotten Tomatoes, though, this one is interesting. The tomatometer on it is 20%, but the audience score is 80%. It's high. It's absolutely high. Really? Yeah. And so was the audience watching it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but Were they he, passing out ludes during the theater for this one? But, <laughs> that would help. But here's the funny thing, though, and I'm, I'm going to take the lead on this one if that's okay with everybody. This is my number one film of the five. Why? All right. So uh, hear, hear me out on this one here. You know, as, as 
each of the movies in and of themselves have a lot of problems with them. I, I fully agree with that. Um, when you realize that this film was originally filmed in 2014, you know, you can take out the, you know, the, any CGI or whatnot that was done with Fan Bing Bing as the, as, as the mermaid or whatever. I get it. Right. It's also a, a fantasy film based in, you know, a, a setting in real life history. I think as as a fantasy, almost YA type movie, this does the job that it wanted to do. Was I a fan of Pierce Brosnan in this movie? No. <laughs> it, I'm sorry, it's better than Mamma Mia. Uh, uh, most things are, but I, <laughs> but the thing is, there are a lot of really good performances in this. I think William Hurt uh, kind of got overlooked on this because it is in a film that is Razzie nominated, but he is stellar in this as William Hurt usually is. I really liked Kyla Scodelario in this. I think she was, you know unfairly maligned in being nominated for worst actress i think that's more a take on the film itself it's i mean it's exactly what you expect out of a ya-ish fantasy movie set in you know as, as a period piece i i really don't see why the hate on this film like I, it's for what it is it's actually really good. Uh, but I'm going to go to Gomez on this one. How is the King's Daughter for you? <laughs> okay. First, Gomez, wake up. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, the, the ludes must have been kicked in. Right. <laughs> um, first of all, I didn't even bother watching this movie because it's Pierce Bronson. How um, dare you? Listen, the only time I ever watch him in a movie now is just the old James Bond flicks. Boy, okay, that, he, he was the best part of Black Adam. I'm not even don't even get me started with that movie <laughs> <laughs> as the laughter continues that, that man is an absolute gem alright opening weekend this freaking film opened in 2000 th- theaters okay opening weekend how much do you think it made the first weekend well considering the worldwide gross as a total is only 2.23 million probably not much 700,000 and how much was this movie budgeted for? $40 million? $40.5 million. Do me a favor. Why don't you guys put $40 million into the Sleevy G show, and I'll <laughs> and I'll do better. This this was the worst movie out of everything. I mean, it was... It's Pierce Bronson. I, I feel bad for the guy, you know, with long hair and this weird dress he was wearing, probably. Uh, his acting was not good in this uh, from what I saw on, I'll even say it. I saw it on the trailer. It was that bad for me. It's a number five. I'm sorry. They even made this film and they made this one in 2014. They said, yeah, two, it filmed in 2014 of, you know, shelved and then eventually, you know, brought off the shelf and released with not really well, much a fanfare. No, definitely not. And also this was a uh, Hertz final role because before he passed away, yeah, and, and the thing is, he is really quite good in this. I will say, too, Pierce Brosnan with long hair doesn't work in this film, does work in Grey Owl. I didn't see Grey Owl either, so I don't know. <laughs> Pierce Bronson and long hair and him singing like Mamma Mia, it's just... Uh, never mind. Well, here we go I, again. We're going to head over to Simon then for The King's Daughter. We're going to have to pass more loots in this one. <laughs> Simon, what did you think of The King's Daughter? So... <clears throat> I mean, speechless. Pierce Brosnan's French accent. He gave it a good old college try in the first scene and gave up on it. I'm like, what are you doing here? 
Um, I know one of the big complaints about this movie is the special effects, and one of the reasons this was shelved for so long was because they were waiting on better CGI. When given that these complaints have happened to some of the Marvel flicks in recent recently, I can kind of see it. I've watched Doctor Who episodes with better CGI than some of what happened here. I also missed the part of how she's able to breathe underwater with the mermaid, but this is not as bad as some people made it out to be, and it is my one. It does the job. And yes, rest in peace, William Hurt. This is the final role that was screened play by him. He filmed this obviously eight, you know, nine mm-hmm. years ago, but um, you know, he, uh, he was good. I think a lot of, you know, you can kind of predict how the plot's going to go, but it's always in some ways like a Hallmark movie. And this movie did have look like a TV movie to me at times, but you know, compared to some of the others here, it's not as bad. It's my one. All right, Carrie, the King's daughter. How you, how do you see this? Sorry, Simon, I'm going with Team Gomez on this one. I fell asleep. Uh, I really have... I'm not the only one. I have nothing more to say except for that was a really bad, bad wig on Pierce Brosnan. I just couldn't get over it. And so I decided very early on in this movie that I wasn't even going to give it my time and I closed my eyes and took a nap and it was wonderful. Um, So I I thank you uh, for that two hour nap. Um, uh, Yeah, I got nothing. It's a five. All right. So we have two ones and two fives. Greg, how are you ranking this one? I'm curious now. Okay. So I understand where everyone else is coming from with the whole, like I fell asleep because at one point I, I was watching the film and I'm like, this gotta be half an hour left in this, right? Nope, I was only 40 minutes in and I was like, holy sh. Uh, <laughs> also, also, I think Simon, I think Simon hit the nail on the head with this. Pierce Brosnan, what are you doing here? You are Irish. You are nowhere near French. <laughs> and like, I even looked it up because in history, I'm a history major. In history, there have been like English kings who were French and like German kings who were like, you know, uh, Spanish. So it's like, maybe, maybe I forgot that Louis the Fourteenth was something else other than, no, a thousand percent French. He's <laughs> like the most Frenchest king you've ever had. And it's like, how? How is this cast even made? Um, the story. Okay, so I was watching. This is the only movie of these five that I actually watched with my wife, Lauren, uh, because she had heard it was a good book. You know, like, actually, this book, apparently, the year the book was written, beat Game of Thrones for a couple of, uh, like, Scholastic Awards. You know, so I was like, wow. So apparently this is a really good book. And we were watching it, and we were arguing, actively arguing about what the hell was going on about (laughs) Does this happen before this? Is this a flashback? Is this concurrent with the other thing? The timeline did not make sense to us at first. And we were like actively like getting heated. No, that was in the past. She's clearly the daughter of a mermaid. What are you talking about right now? (laughs) So it was, I didn't have any problems with the acting in it other than Pierce Brosnan and his lack of a French accent. Um, 
you know, the story itself was okay. There's a lot of really weird cuts and editing that made it, I could see why it's like on the chopping block for the Razzies. But for me, I don't know, like there was way worse on this list. So I'm going to split the vote here. I'm going to go right down the middle as a three. Whoa. This has wow. to be one of the most polarizing films we have done so far on is. grading on a curve. And, and Jason, just to give you the heads up, I, as usual, am keeping track in an Excel spreadsheet right now of everyone's votes. And right now, yeah, this has a perfect three for the ranking. <laughs> love it. Absolutely love well, it. Someone's keeping track. <laughs> Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Uh, okay, so here we go. Our next contestant is Good Morning, written by, directed by, and starring Machine Gun Kelly and Maud Sun. Also features Megan Fox, Dove Cameron, Whitney Cummings, with cameos by Pete Davidson, Tom Arnold, Dennis Rodman, Danny Trejo, Avril Lavigne, and Snoop Dogg as a talking joint. The script came from Machine Gun Kelly and Maud Sun after... Yeah, Megan Fox sent Machine Gun Kelly a similar text, and this is how he prevented himself from spiraling. This movie is basically his therapy session. The film had a worldwide gross. Now, Gomez, you were talking about the worldwide gross of, or at least the opening weekend of The King's Daughter. This film has a total worldwide gross of $21,348. <laughs> 
Also, Machine Gun Kelly and Maud Sun are nominated for Worst Director and Worst Screen Combo and Worst Screenplay. Machine Gun Kelly is nominated for Worst Actor, and Pete Davidson, in his second nomination of the year, is nominated for Worst Supporting Actor. Pete Davidson is also nominated for Worst Actor for Marmaduke. Over on Rotten Tomatoes, this film has an audience score of 59% and a tomatometer of the Grand Donut, 0%. But I know, I know at least one person on this panel loves this movie. So, Carrie, what did you think of Good Morning? Freaking loved no. it. Oh, I loved it. <laughs> no. this is a very carry movie this is the quintessential like this if it came out in like vhs time it would have taken a place on my shelf of really bad movies um but but really good like it's a place of honor don't get me wrong i loved this movie i loved everything about it there is nothing that I have bad to say, and as I'm sure you can imagine, it's my number number one. <laughs> I, you know, although a little awkward now, right? That the after the the very public breakup, <laughs> alleged Gee, I breakup. Why? Alleged. They're done. Which, for the record, uh, Maud's son in this is actually the real life boyfriend, apparently, of Avril Lavigne. So now you know how they got her in this. Wait, what? That's amazing. (laughs) Now we know how she got in the movie. Is she failing upward or downward from Uh, the Nickelback guy? I'm not quite sure if this counts as slumming it or or a bit of the same. Wait, was Skater Boy actually written about him? I need to know now. I'm I'm very curious. Well, I don't think it was written about him because, of course, in between Skater Boy and Maude Sun, of course, was Chad Kroger from Nickelback. So, oh yeah. Wait a minute! Who didn't she date? Didn't she date somebody from um, the f- was that group? Excuse my language. Sorry, some forty-one. I thought she was uh, uh I, I think she might have been with Derek Webley for a little bit. I can't remember. I thought he, I thought she married. Him. I, yeah, I think it went Derek Webley, then Chad Kroger, and now Maude Sun. Uh, she really kept a Canadian on that one, oh, didn't she? Oh, Avril. Oh, <laughs> she Avril. likes that bacon. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Greg. <laughs> Greg, how are you doing for Good Morning? Five. Hard five. There was way too many side characters in here. None of them had any real, like, meat to their bones. You know, like, at one point, there is literally a scene where Pete Davidson turns to one of them and says, there's too many characters in the scene. You need to leave. Because, like, he's about to do, like, that CPR or whatever to the guy who's, like, too stoned to, like, even function. So he tells Sonic the Hedgehog-looking dude, like, just go in the bathroom and go away because we have too many people here right now. And, like, yeah, that's kind of the the, the 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 point of this movie. Like, it's just too much going on. There's too much nonsense happening. But I will tell you, the one redeeming factor of this entire movie, the only reason I would recommend anyone watch this film is for the very, very end post credit scene. Did any of you guys see it? All the way through. All the way through. <laughs> yeah, you have to watch the credits all the way through. So the very end of the film, it ends, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen this garbage film, go watch it or, or don't, I don't give a shit. But at the very end, um, Machine Gun Kelly and Apple, 
Becky G, who plays her, end up in like a car crash and they're like in traction, like in the hospital, like in like, you know, big supports and everything. And like, that's supposed to be the end. Then it's like at the very, very end of the film, after all the credits, they say, and cut. Great job, guys. That's a wrap on the finale. And then Machine Gun Gully gets up with his like British accent and goes like, wait, so you're telling me, and he like runs through like a two minute summary of the entire film. Either this is the luckiest like jerk on the planet or this is the dumbest script I've ever read. And I'm like, this movie is self-referential for the (laughs) fact that the plot is insane. And I kind of was here for it, (laughs) but it's still your number five film. Oh, it's still my number five with a bullet. Yes. All right, Simon, good morning. How are you doing with this one? So uh, I can confirm that uh, Skater Boy was written for some 41's Derek Wibley. Just a quick Google there. So we were all correct there. So I'll be honest, I just watched the trailer. And because I laughed at that two-second clip of Snoop as a joint, it's (laughs) getting my four. Okay. That's okay. all I have to say. Now, I have five reserved for one of the movies we haven't talked about yet, and I have a whole reason for that. We'll get there. Oh, I'm so looking forward to that. Uh, by the oh, way, yeah. I do have to point out, this is one of those movies where <sighs> this gets on my nerves. When you watch the trailer and everything you that's good about the film is in the trailer, you can literally mm-hmm. watch the trailer of this film and not have to see the film. You've seen all the best parts. Untrue. Okay. Untrue. Okay. Yeah, but it's your number one, though. You'll miss yeah, be quiet good one. <laughs> <laughs> but, but Greg's about to disown me, too, because that's my number two film. How dare you? Here, here's the thing. I like good, stupid, funny. And while there is some really, really writing in this, first of all. Really? Right. The guy's name is London Clash. Like, tell me you didn't just listen to that album and then wrote this. Okay. Also, there's a song in this called Good Morning, and it feels like the song was written around the same time as the film. Just make a freaking music video. But it's one of those dumb put your brain on vacation, you know exactly what you're getting into, and you don't have to think too much. And sometimes I kind of like being dumbed down to. Sometimes I like people on the screen being idiots. And the cameos in this actually, I think, make the film. Yes, I fully admit, I I agree, Greg, there is a lot of who the f*** is this person in this film. A lot of that. But there are certain standouts. Uh, I, Greg, I know you liked Whitney Cummings in this. I actually like oh, Dove. Sure. I actually like Dove Cameron in this. I think her, you know, I don't give a f- attitude as the assistant actually kind of worked in this. It, it's not that bad. If you, it's written and directed by Machine Gun Kelly. If you're expecting highbrow comedy, well, he directed it too. Oh yeah. Directed, that makes a lot of sense now. Yeah, this is literally you know, the, the father, the son, and the Holy Ghost version of going into this film. Written by, directed by, and starring. But it is exactly what you expect it to be. Uh, I went in with zero expectations, and I you know expect the worst and got almost there, so I was right anyways. Okay, Gomez, good morning. How was it for you? It's morning already? That's what Jason says to Terry. <laughs> uh, so... <laughs> I'll just say it right now. I, I only watched the, the the trailer. I thought that was a whole movie there. Uh, for me, you're this, not wrong. You're not wrong. No, I'm not actually because I think there was only a few 
parts that were taken out, which actually made sense why the movie was better under two minutes and 37 seconds. Um, saving face, uh, the two saving things in that is Snoop Dogg is a joint, which is hilarious. And just seeing Megan Fox in the movie. So it gets a hard three just because of Megan Fox. That's about it. Notice how he puts a hard three on that one for Megan Fox. Yeah, I did. <laughs> oh, man, oh, man. I, I'm going to be- get beat up later for that one, but that's yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. We are now moving on to the second of two Pinocchio films released this year. This one on Disney Plus stars Tom Hanks, Joseph Gordon-Levitt as the voice of Jiminy Cricket, Keegan-Michael Key as the voice of Honest John, and Benjamin Evan Ainsworth as the voice of Pinocchio, directed by Robert Zemeckis. I mentioned this was the second Pinocchio film this year. Of course, the other one is Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, which can be found on Netflix. This is the first Disney remake to be nominated for Worst Picture. So bravo, people, bravo. Zemeckis is also nominated for Worst Director. Tom Hanks nominated as Worst Actor. By the way, Tom Hanks is also nominated for Worst Supporting Actor for Elvis this year. So that just tells you how his year went. That was this year too? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Lorraine Bracco is nominated for Worst Supporting Actress as the Voice of Sophia. And the film is also nominated for Worst Remake, Ripoff, or Sequel, and for Worst Screenplay. Over on Rotten Tomatoes, this film has a tomatometer of 29%, and the audience isn't that far behind at 28%. Simon, to you first, Disney's Pinocchio. What did you think? They had it. You didn't even have to try hard and make this a good movie. It's Disney. It's Pinocchio. When You Wish Upon a Star is like their most iconic song and they effed it up. And the only thing I can say about, first off, Tom Hanks, ugh, Geppetto, no, no. I just, I don't know. I can't, I, I, I was just expecting so much more. And it was like, the story is the story. We all know the story of Pinocchio, but there was nothing there. There was no soul. It was just, this, this it's just a Disney movie. It was just there. It, it could have been so much more than what it actually ended up being. And that is why it's my five. Wow. Those are harsh words like for what Pinocchio. Happened? <laughs> also, Geppetto and Pinocchio are hardly in the movie together, right? Like, just little things like that. I, I don't know. Okay, like, to be fair, that's kind of the same in the original. They're hardly in the movie together. I, I know. I I just, I just, I don't know what it, I, I can't put my, it's just, they had it. It's, I feel and, you, though. I feel you. This should have been a home run. Should have been. I also, this is sort of a part of a discussion. I can apply this to Marvel as well. When do we start saying, okay, it's time to think about quality over quantity? Yes. And I think that's a debate to be had with this too. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's my five. Now, something I'm going to ask you before we go go on to Greg here, I'm going to ask you did you watch it with your kids? You know what? I didn't. Actually, so I don't have their opinion. They didn't, they didn't want to watch it. They saw the trailer and it actually, I forget what was all in the trailer, but I think, you know, some of the whale scenes might have been a bit scary for them. They've seen the original with me and 1940, the animation still holds up really well, but it's pretty scary at times for my kids. And we haven't seen it in a couple of years. Maybe they'll like it now, but they had no desire to watch it. None. So it was just How's me. that expression go from the mouth of babes comes truth? 
or something like that. Right? <laughs> exactly, right? All right, Greg, over to you. How was Disney's Pinocchio? Jason, or sorry, Simon, you got out a lot of points that I had. You had this. You had a template for this. All we wanted was a shot-for-shot photorealistic remake of it. I know that some people crapped on that for The Lion King, but that's kind of what I wanted here. Just do that again. You know, but they 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 backed away from it, you know. One thing that really, really irked me was in the Pleasure Island scene, in the original, Pinocchio and Limpwick, Lampwick, excuse me, Lampwick, they turn themselves into, quote, jackasses, unquote, because of the activities they are participating in. They are drinking. They are smoking. If you go look that up, Pinocchio literally has a beer in his hand and a cigar in the other hand. And, you know, they're gambling, they're doing pool, they're getting in fights, things like that. So, like, it makes sense for why Pinocchio transforms. In this movie, Pinocchio doesn't do a damn thing wrong. All he does wrong is just be there. And he still starts to turn. And I'm like, why? He doesn't even have his root beer. He, like, is handed a, quote, root beer, sees people breaking clocks, is reminded of his papa, and it's like, oh, no, I feel bad now. And he doesn't participate. So why is he being punished? That that was a weird choice. The other thing that really bothered me was right at the beginning, when Pinocchio first turns into, well, I guess first comes alive, I should say. And, you know, Geppetto, a.k.a. Tom Hanks, picks him up. There was clear clipping. I saw Pinocchio clip through Tom Hanks's arm. That's how bad the editing was in this film. And, like, the size kept seeming to change on him. like how big Pinocchio is compared to other things and it was driving me insane but the one thing the one thing that I think is the biggest metaphor for this entire movie Pinocchio literally stops at one point and smells he stops in the plaza he says what's this and he takes like a 10 second deep breath and I just felt so bad for any animator who was in the studio who's like I guess my next three months is Pinocchio smelling horse on the ground. That's my job. My paychecks should might as well just say horse because that's what I did. So this movie, four. The only reason it's not a five is because I really hated Good Morning, but this was this was a hard four for me. All right, Gomez, how was Disney's Pinocchio for you? Well, you know, growing up watching the original, just like everybody else, it was a... I don't know. I wouldn't call it a huge disappointment. They tried doing what they had to do. Um, I mean, Tom Hanks was not the greatest actor for this one. I will say that. Um, but for me, this one lays as a, as a number two. I enjoyed it, kind of. I'm not going to lie. Um, the fact that, you know, George and Gor- George, eh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt was in the, in the movie, I thought he was okay. You know, it, it's just one of those things that you can't repeat what the original was in a live action film. Like, again, like you guys said, The Lion King, you know what I mean? It's not one of my favorites of the live action. I love the original because the it's it's actually a lot cuter. The, the lines in the real one was pretty damn ugly, I'd say. But, you know, again, I, I give it a two just because of the, the history I have with the movie. It was one of my favorite movies growing up. And, you know, I give it a hard two on this one. You know what? I'm just going to put it out there right now. This is my number four film. I do not see the reason to remake 
some of these classic animated films into CGI or live action-ish kind of films. Like, The Lion King didn't need to be redone. It also did... It, it also didn't need all those direct-to-VHS, direct-to-DVD sequels. Mulan didn't need to be redone. This did not need to be... Like, they already did it and did it perfectly for the time. And quite frankly, as a parent, I would rather show my kids the original ones, right? Like, yes, our kids are a little bit on the older side, but there's still something so good about those classic films. Like, I mean... I I you know I grew up watching you know the wonderful world of Disney on CBC on Sunday you know evenings kind of thing you get those those animated films and if it's something that you remember hey great no problem if it's if it's something that they created like Condor Man you're like okay we're in for a bit of an adventure <laughs> here Condor Man yes <laughs> thank God someone else remembers Condor Man um, oh I remember it the other problem too and and you guys picked up on this is that when you set out to recreate a film like Pinocchio, which is going to be, by the very nature of it, CGI heavy, you are taxing a lot of people. Uh, and I I agree. The, 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 the quantity over quality is a problem. And you are seeing half-rendered, like She-Hulk-esque kind of outputs that are making it onto streaming and then magically getting fixed because, you know, someone forgot the Starbucks cup and Game of Thrones. You know, the you are putting too much pressure on the CGI artists. And, you know, like, I hate, I can't believe I'm using Good Morning as a defense for this, right? But, I mean, you can't actually make a decent film without relying on CGI and have it come across. Not that Good Morning should be used for any measuring stick of goodness by any stretch of the imagination but you did not need to redo this at all you know it's is it the worst no it's you know that went to blonde for just being completely wrong uh but it's still my number four because it was unnecessary especially released in a year where we already have a new animated version of pinocchio that improves or at least you know is not a direct shot for shot attempt at it like we didn't need it this year we didn't need it at all it was unnecessary carrie disney's pinocchio for you i, I know i need a snickers bar after that one <laughs> but yeah i'm going to respectfully disagree because i think that kids like are so not tech savvy but they're so um you know in the now and I think that Disney is trying their very best to research all of these, you know, classics um, to make it maybe a little bit more, you know, real life, right? To, to bring Pinocchio to real life. And I can see why they made the attempt. And was it, was it great? No, but um, <laughs> I, I found it enjoyable, I mean, come on, the music, the uh, the singing of the fairy godmother, fairy godmother was just beautiful. And it was exactly, yeah, was legit, yeah. it was exactly what I needed from this. Like, you know, um, Tom Hanks, was he, I don't know. I don't think Tom Hanks could ever be an awful actor. I mean, he certainly has nothing to prove to anybody. Um, 
so you know what? I think he was really just like just having fun with it. You know, it wasn't just a paycheck. It was literally something that um, he had fun with and he tried and maybe, you know, it wasn't one of his best movies and that's fine. But uh, I, I have it sitting at a number two. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, and then I, I, I can appreciate, you know, definitely the singing. By, by, you know, there is some talent in this movie. I will give you full credit here. Oh, and it was fun. The dance numbers as well. Yeah. I, I just wish that, you know, appointment television was still a thing. Because if you're going to do that, you know, you have a Disney channel. You can actually put some of these classic films on there and make it appointment viewing for some of these classics. But maybe those days are gone. Maybe those days are gone. But that leads us to something we wish was gone. And that's Morbius. This film stars Jared Leto, Matt Smith, Jared Harris, Tyrese Gibson, and Andrea Arjona. The film has a budget of $75 million and maybe the only one of the five films we talk about tonight with a you know, positive gross because it made $167 million worldwide. Daniel Espinoza is also nominated for Worst Director for this film. Jared Leto for Worst Actor, Adria Arjona for Worst Supporting Actress, and the film is nominated for Worst Screenplay. Here's another swing, though. Over a Rotten Tomatoes, this film has a 16% tomatometer and a 71% audience score, which surprises the crap out of me, considering that this may be one of the least liked superhero films in recent memory, and that's even including Eternals. But somehow, as I'm looking at my list, Gomez, this is your number one film. How is. is how is Morbius your number one film? Uh, I'm a Marvel guy to begin with, and a DC guy. As long as Ben Affleck's not in it, we're fine, okay? That's <laughs> what <I'm talking> <laughs> I'll, I'll admit it, I hate Ben Affleck <laughs> with a passion. He's not, he killed Daredevil for me already. So, you know, <clears throat> that's a whole nother topic. I actually watched this movie and I actually enjoyed it. I thought the movie was different. It was directed, I thought, pretty well. I thought it had a storyline. And yes, some of the parts were a little boring. I will admit to that. But once the action got going on, it was actually, I thought it was a kick-ass movie. Matter of fact, a couple of my family members loved the movie. So... They suggested to me to watch it. I did, and I actually somewhat enjoyed it. After the third time, of course. Um, but, uh, you know, it's my number one. I thought, you know, I like Jared Leto. I liked him when he played Joker. I wish he did the uh, the newer movies. But, you know, when I look at it, I mean, they got Joaquin Phoenix, which is good. I can't wait to see part two when that comes out. Um, I, I just thought this was just a better than the other, th- the other four we talked about. Except Pinocchio is still a little... Touchy. Pinocchio and Morbius were fighting for number one, but I went with family instead of myself. You may be the first person I have ever met who has said that they wanted more of Jared Leto as the Joker. Not going to lie. You know what? I thought he did well in Suicide Squad, even though I know he was a little, he was playing a lot of tricks on them and stuff like that. But I'm going to be honest with you, I thought he did very well. And I thought Margaret uh, Robbie did very well as Harley Quinn, too. Um, oh. And I'm actually looking forward to seeing Lady Gaga now as Harley Quinn. You know what's funny? 
and, and we we talked about this when we covered the Suicide Squad earlier on, uh, you know, on, on a previous episode here. I think Margot Robbie was very good as Dr. Harleen Quinzel and, and pretty good as Margot Robbie. I have a feeling Lady Gaga is going to be a better Harley Quinn as opposed to a Dr. Harleen Quinzel because you can be better at secret identity uh, and not be as good as superhero. I, I will say in saying that, I felt Jared Leto, and we talked about this movie earlier on the show before, um, Jared Leto was better as Dr. Michael Morbius before it became Morbid Time. Um, this is very much a tale of two halves with this film. Before he takes the, you know, the concoction, it's actually a pretty decent film. Afterwards, it becomes a CGI mess complete with vapor trails. Uh, it's a number three for me, though, because, you know, there are still good aspects of this film. Matt Smith is always a gem. I can't, you know, can't complain about that. Carrie, though is not the biggest Jared Leto fan. Mm, if I'm rating Morbius on Jared Leto, then what, we got a nine? <laughs> <laughs> but um, but Matt Smith, you know, uh, I, I, I do loves me some Doctor Who. So um, it's sitting at a four. Um, and, and you know what? As much as I dislike Jared Leto, I preferred... Him as the doctor, um, I thought that he played it well. He was, you know, I mean, it it it, it had to have been a challenging role, um, and he he nailed it. You know, um, whether his personality conflicts off screen or not, but we're not you know judging the person. Um, so. You know, yeah, but he hit you with a carrot, so yeah. Well, you know what? He also turned into kind of like a werewolfy kind of thing, so mm. yeah, Morbin time. Um, but no, I mean, as far as storyline, I this is one that I fell asleep. Um, funny enough, I, I can I can watch through the story part of the movie the minute that the big Marvel fight scene happens, especially anything Michael Bay, I'm out. <laughs> that's when I start to fall asleep and snore in the movie theater. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's, it's a four and um, I'm surprised because when I saw the list of movies, I initially thought I was going to put this at a five, but um, no, it's, uh, it's, it's not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> Simon, this film is your number two film. How, so how, what, you know, what helped Morbius stand out from the rest? Quote, you don't want to see me when I'm angry. <laughs> Jason Whistle, Las Vegas, 2006, before the buffet when he got the country steak. Oh, um, that buffet oh, was a victim, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> First off, I, as for the cases, many of these, I came in expecting the worst. I'm a Marvel guy, I'm not much of a DC guy. How can anything with Matt Smith in it be bad? Matt Smith what made the movie for me, quite frankly. I'm a, I'm a big Doctor Who guy, so that shouldn't surprise those who know me. But, uh, you know, Jared was... See, there's the difference between trying to be all dark and stuff and just being a bad actor. And with him, I couldn't tell the difference. Um, but it had its moments. It wasn't awful. That's why it was my two. I just, I just thought they were worst movies in the group. Um, I don't think I want to watch a sequel to this, quite frankly. I also wonder 
because my understanding is there were significant reshoots because this was supposed to come out before Spider-Man Homecoming came out after they had, there was supposed to be more Michael Keaton, more crossover. And I'm not saying put Spider-Man in just to make it Spidey, but like, I think it got a little screwed over by COVID and Willie state moves and having to reshoot various parts. So I wonder how the original may have been, but yeah, Jared Leto and, uh, the Dr. Bancroft, both horrific acting, but it is Mike too. Because I just thought there were other ones worse. And I thought Matt Smith was really good. And I thought the last half hour picked up after nearly falling asleep myself. I thought the last half hour redeemed a lot of the movie. Yeah, I, I don't think, maybe aside from Top Gun Maverick, not many movies that were being promoted before the pandemic you know, found a way to, you know, hit screens or hit theaters gracefully. Top Gun Maverick being, I think, definitely the exception because we were seeing those trailers before, you know, Rudy Gobert started touching microphones and sent everybody home. Um, Yeah, like obviously between this and Black Widow, we'd kind of seen everything that we needed to see. And yes, you know, the, the appearing, reappearing Michael Keaton end credit scene and whatnot. And oh, there's... <laughs> I I do wonder though what the future of Morbius will be at least in the Sony Spider Verse, but Greg, this one surprises me in that this is your number one. I damn right it is. I did not see this one coming. Why? I saw that coming when he had number five already. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen, if you compare this to the superhero films we used to watch back in the early two thousands. This is great. This is a fantastic film. Like, compare this to the original X-Men and the quality we had there. Those are not as solid as you might remember them being for, like, film quality. So, like, go back and watch those. It's still great. This movie does clearly suffer from a lot of editing, though. I feel like it's been overly edited, especially with Tyrese Gibson. They clearly had a lot more planned for his character, and they just kind of cut half of that out. But, like, I still... I, feel like I still feel out. like, yeah, I know, right? I still feel that there's a lot of good meat here. And as much as I'm still really terrified for what they might try to do with a Sinister Six film, the fact that they're actually taking steps towards that, with that end credit sequence of Morbius and Adrian Toomes talking, I was like, I am here for this. It's still kind of a weird, fun, like learning your own powers kind of film. And I did enjoy that he references other things. Like when he goes to the guys in their lair and says, I am Venom. Like the fact that he's like, that's part of this universe. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm down for that, you know? So the reason it's my number one though, don't get me wrong. This is still a bad film. It's not as bad. It's not that bad, but it's bad. But the reason it's my number one is just because everything else on this list was so much worse. So once again, it's what's the most polished turd out of the bunch? Morbius is the most <laughs> polished turd. So there you go. I, I think they're going to put that on the next poster. Morbius, the most polished turd out of the bunch. Um, yeah. Oh my God, bef- Before be we recap our rankings here, I'm going to go around the table here. And Greg, I'm going to start with you on this one here. We know your rankings here, but obviously we're not the ones who get to pick the winner's of the Razzies. So of these five films, these are the nominees. Greg, who do you think wins the Razzie for worst picture? As much as my personal ranking 
would say good morning. I feel like Blonde has the biggest target on its back, and I feel like that's going to get it. Uh, Gomez, how about you? Hmm. I mean, let me check my Hispanic powers under my shirt. Oh, wait. I <laughs> wait, I'm sorry. I wear sleeveless shirts here. Um, I got to go with Blonde. I think it's got the biggest target on their back. But don't be surprised if the king's daughter doesn't get uh, actually wins. Carrie, which one do you think actually wins worst picture? Again, I'm thinking blonde, and that's probably just more optics than anything. Simon? What costs more, the Razzie trophy itself or the total gross of Good Morning? <laughs> Like That's a great question. I think the worldwide gross, I think if I remember correctly, I think the, the actual Razzie award is worth maybe 40 or 50 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> worth every penny. Is it a $50 coupon at Denny's? Hey, I don't, don't knock house. it. I, I would I would totally go morbid time on a, with a $50 gift card at, at Denny's. But the toss up between Blonde and Good Morning for me, same reason you guys are saying I think Blonde's got a huge target on its back, but Good Morning is just amateurish and, and a VHS collection next to Carrie's Police Academy movies. So I think that's going to win. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Don't knock the Police Academy movies after five. I, I think <laughs> I, I, that's I, the line I, in the sand that you draw. Like, yeah, pretty much. On Patrol is where it lost me. <laughs> I love Sister On Patrol. Okay, I, I have to agree that Blonde is definitely uh, probably the, the leading contender for Worst Picture, but I also wouldn't be surprised if Disney's Pinocchio is up there as well. And I say that mainly because, yeah, it's Disney milking the cash cow once again in a year where Guillermo del Toro did it far, far better. Uh, and we didn't need that. This This was like, you know, going to watch Deep Impact after watching Armageddon in the same year. That's a good point because the expectation is now set. Yeah, exactly. Like Armageddon comes out, it's it's this big film, but an asteroid and then Deep Impact comes out. We're like, oh, I'm depressed now. Mm. I thought when that movie came out, I thought it was a porn video. <laughs> I'm starting to question now if that was Deep Impact or Armageddon, but that all depends wait, wait, wait. on how yeah, yeah, it's either Deep Impact or Armageddon laid. <laughs> Let's talk more about Deep Impact. Oh, we have devolved and I'm here for it. So we're going to go around the table here and just recap our rankings. So, Carrie, from worst to first, which films or how did you rank these films? Worst to first? Worst to first. I like that. Uh, The King's Daughter at number five. Morbius at number four. That puts Blonde at number three and Pinocchio at two. And Good Morning is my number one. Simon, worst to first, what have you got? It's like you expect me to write this down. Uh, my five is Pinocchio because they screwed it up. Could have done better. Good Morning, number four. Let me think. What did I do? Um, you, uh, said you said Blonde. Morbius, number two. And uh, King's Daughter, number one. Blonde in the middle. Greg, worst to first. Good morning, Pinocchio. The king's daughter is blonde, Morbius. <laughs> I say, was that what? a question? <laughs> <laughs> I, are you going? Are you going uh, like Hamlet over here? Damn, Shakespeare. <laughs> this is literally like that. That that question on the test is used properly in a sentence. You just used all five movies properly in a sentence. Gomez, worst to first. Uh, number five, daughter, the daughter, the king's daughter, whatever that was. 
Number four, Deathly Blonde. Three, uh, good morning or good evening. Uh, number two, Pinocchio. And number one is Morbius. And I had Blonde at number five, Morbi- uh, Pinocchio at number four, Morbius at number three, Good Morning at number two, and The King's Daughter at number one. This, we kind of went full scatter shot on this one Jason, here. would you like to hear the averages? This is really interesting. I, I am so here for the averages. Greg, how did we do? Okay, so I did the averages in an Excel spreadsheet while we were doing this. I will list them from lowest to highest now. So tied for fourth place is Blonde and Pinocchio with 3.4. Tied for second place is The King's Daughter and Good Morning. And the best film, by our consensus, is Morbius with a 2.2. Fascinating. I, I, I am... It's actually kind of cool. Yeah, I am... I am I'll admit, I There's am surprised. Two ties, which is amazing. Yeah, I, I am surprised that Morbius tops out based on the averages here. Uh, but... Listeners. Oh, you think about it, <laughs> right? But listeners, if you think what, about the if you think about the movies you listed for tonight, you know, Morbius is the clear winner. <laughs> can I just ask a question though from the team? Okay. Okay. If Matt Smith were not cast in the in Morbius, Ooh, great question. Where Ooh. would it sit? I think I really, really think. Obviously, it's going to take a hit in points, but I think it depends on how big of a hit for who else you get. Yeah, because, I mean, here's the thing. If you pull Matt Smith out, that that is a major good part of the film gone. And I'd be doing him a solid. Very much so. And yeah. I already know who you could put in there for him. Russell Brand. Ooh. Instead, <laughs> no. an actor, not a <laughs> actor. That's just not fair. <laughs> Okay, go. I would say put I would put Ben Affleck and I rated a number five. Wow, I mean, if you replaced him with David Tennant, then I, I think, I mean, but then no. again, you know, I I will absolutely you know stand David Tennant on anything here, but I mean, it is it, it's a bit of a waste of a perfectly good Matt Smith in this, which is a shame because I would have loved to see him somewhere else in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Let's just put hey, Michael Sheen. This, does this count as Marvel Cinematic? I thought this is still technically no. Sony Cinematic. Hey, well, I mean, it's Marvel, technically. I think a lot of it depends on what they do with Madam Web. And I know we're, we're starting to geek out here, but Madam Web is the one property that will have the ability to kind of cross over everything, although they are starting to do that with the Into the Spider-Verse, with rumors that Tom Holland is going to make it appear, a live-action appearance in one of the upcoming Spider-Verse films. So it's questionable as to what could happen who knows I think they still have, they still have it under the marvel brand though technically i mean yeah the they're tied together well, in a way listen, we ben haven't seen that crossover yet listen ben affleck got fired by wb so he could just join the marvel universe and tank all their movies yeah but he'll still be in the flash so there's that all right let's go around the horn here we're gonna start with simon simon where can our listeners hear you on the radio uh, City News 680, sports twice an hour. You might see me at Marley's Games too. Catch me on social, Twitter, Instagram at Sports Voice Guy. Gomez, tell us about the new show. Uh, well, I started a new show this year. Uh, Playlist Wars is a little hiatus, but, you know, we have uh, conflict schedules going on between me and Brian. But uh, we got two show, two brand new shows that gave birth from Playlist Wars. Uh, for, uh, not unfortunately, but fortunately. Um Brian has my weekly mixtape. He's doing very well over there. And now I have mine, the Sleevy G Show. 
it's more of a conversation. We already had Jason on there. We were talking about Tony Hawk's uh, video game and music, actually, which actually is nice. still taking monster hits. Uh, people are still listening to it, raving about it. So that's always a good thing. Um, pretty much my show's about conversations about anything, local business, video games, music, movies, good movies, bad movies, whatever kind of movies, anything without Ben Affleck. Um, <laughs> uh, so, you know, come on, check it out. Uh, got my blog list too at sleevygpodcast.com. And you can catch me on Twitter at sleevyg79 underscore, sleevy underscore g79, sorry. Instagram, sleevyg79. You can find me at all the podcast stations and YouTube channels too. So check me out out there. Greg, where can we hear you on your shows? Um, a lot of them in hiatus right now. We do plan to come back to movie date nights. That's at movie date night on Facebook and Twitter, uh, where we, uh, my, me and my wife, Lauren share movies back and forth and talk about them. I do have a new one. I'm currently, um, filming the first couple of episodes for it, but it's too early to like say what the handle for that's going to be. So like that's, you know, pending, um, but also go on, go and check out the film or not the film, the podcast that, uh, I was part of that's now like ended called flops F L a W P S. That was a fun one where me and my friend David, uh, go through a bunch of, um, ridiculous laws from around the country. Like how you can't tie your alligator to a, uh, a, um, fire hydrant in California. Why can't you? Because some idiot did and it didn't go well. That's oh, Okay. Could it, but in Florida it's legal. <laughs> I uh, yes. Or, or another one that I always remember that another one I always remember that blows people's minds is in Sedona, Arizona. It is illegal to lie about what your sign is. Really? What? If you tell them if you're a Libra and you tell them you're a Gemini, you can be fined. What? Ten dollars? I am so. I don't fascinated know what the fine this. is, but like it's like at least like a hundred dollars for sure. What crack are they smoking? That, that's what we talk about. Go listen to Flops. <laughs> I, I have to now. Yeah. The, soon enough, that law will be turned into a movie written, directed, and starring Machine Gun Kelly. Um, <laughs> and Carrie, Under the Sleepy G production. <laughs> right. Carrie, thank you for being on the show as well. By the way, if you are listening to this show, that means that it is after March 1st, which means you can actually hear Carrie and I on the debut episode of our brand new podcast, There Can Only Be One. It's a brand new music podcast where we go through the entire entire studio discography of a band or musician or singer songwriter and we're only allowed to pick one song per studio album and we cannot eliminate any of the albums uh the first episode is out of course we're talking anthrax on that one because of course we are uh but that podcast will be out bi-weekly because it takes me a while to get through all the albums guys thank you so much for joining on for another edition of grading on a curve and to you our listeners by all means even though these movies suck they're still worth going to watch I, I know, I know Gomez is laughing already here, but by all means, watch them and then come back and listen to this again and see if you agree with us. Until next time, I'm Jay, she's Carrie, thank you, Greg, Gomez, and Simon. Until next time, whether it's it's, whether it's, it's not that bad, grading on a curve or over on the new show, there can only be one. You can find that over on Twitter at OnlyOneCast. You can also find all of our shows on NotThatBadCast.com. Until next time, I'm Jay, this is Great on the curve. Take care, everyone.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 